0: G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. In this episode, we talk to China Australia Millennial Project CEO Andrea Miles. Andrea is connecting entrepreneurs across both countries so that they can build the next generation of monster startups. Then we'll speak to Slingshot CEO Karen Lawson, who offers some amazing insights about how to create an innovation culture in established and risk adverse organizations. Undiscovered countries on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by Braintree, the easy all-in-one payment solution for your app or website. Getworm, the go-to crowdsourcing site for startups, and Creative3, Australia's largest conference for creative tech entrepreneurs and startups. During the winter break for this series of Twister, I actually decided to put myself on a holiday and got on a plane and went to Shanghai because I'd not been to China before. And what I saw in China blew my mind. I had heard that China was amazing, that it was dynamic, that Shanghai is the city of the future, but it wasn't until I was on a subway car, so the Shanghai Metro, which goes everywhere, at peak hour, and it was as quiet as the grave, not because it was empty, but because it was completely filled with people who were staring intently into their really amazing smartphones, using the high-speed broadband that was pervasive through it, and WeChatting or watching the video, and realizing that the way the Chinese were using smartphones was way more sophisticated than anything I saw in Australia because that's where they started. They didn't start with PCs. They didn't start with video games. They started with smartphones, and their entire country is organized around that. And I had this penny drop moment going, my God, how could we ever even hope to run alongside them, much less try to do business with them? And I came back thinking, we need to get on this. We really, really need to get on this. And that led to me inviting my next guest, Andrea Miles is the CEO of the China-Australia Project.
1: Millennial That's no, right,
0: the China-Australia Millennial Project, or CAMP. And we're going to have a little conversation about what we need to do to get Australians up to speed on China. Welcome.
1: <laughs> oh, that was,
0: a, you speak very nice, man, <laughs> I made some attempts when I was there and I'm just, as you'd expect, horrible. But thank you for the welcome. So tell us about camp. Tell us about what you're trying to do.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, basically, I run Australia's largest incubator connecting Australia, Australian e- innovation ecosystems with China, mm-hmm. broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that we do that is to focus on a millennial generation, so 18 to 35. Mm-hmm. Um, we put them into an incubation um, process whereby they co-create new businesses together.
0: So, someone from China and someone from Australia.
1: Yep, correct. Yeah. So, co-founders mm-hmm. um, both come from China and from Australia. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. So that's okay. It's it sounds really intriguing. Is it smooth or is it something that's a little rough because there's a lot of cultural differences, or yeah. are there any cultural differences?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think you know when you're in an, an ideation mode, it's never smooth. Mm. You know, okay. like it, it's Fair the, the best the best kind is when you're really wrangling with ideas and getting stuck in. Mm-hmm. So no, we absolutely do not promise a, a smooth sailing ride mm-hmm. at all. Um, so you know, and it's it's a really interesting project in that uh, we bring together 150 people at a time. Mm. So, you know, the highs are very high, the lows are very low. There is no single experience that takes place, um, but by the end of um, the the experience, people have been through sort of like a crucible, you know, and so the relationships that are forged out of that become very trusted, very dear,
0: you and, know. And mm. this is one of the things that I learned about China, is that China is very much built on relationships. Absolutely. And- and yeah. who you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and in a way that I think, you know, many Western cultures are only just starting to twig, you know, with our relationship to social media. Right. You know, oh well, relationships. This is all of a sudden something that's very, you know, like, oh right, they're useful, they're valuable. China's been doing this for since time immemorial. Right, exactly. You know? they're so, good at yeah, it. yeah, exactly. So it's it's almost cute that we're, you know, giving giving social networks
0: a whirl. <laughs> okay, so Do these folks, these 150 folks Mm. who are coming in, do you matchmake or do they already come in with the matches made? How does all of that magic work.
1: Yeah, sure. So it is It is a slightly socially engineered program. Right. So um, we have 150 people divided into 15 different verticals or right. think tanks as we call them. Okay. And um, when they're applying, they self-select. So, you know, which particular think tank is their area of interest or they have a pet project right. within that area. So, right. you know, if it's within the Australia-China relationship, we have a think tank on it. So we focus on any, everything from innovation to education, uh, entrepreneurship to infrastructure. hmm So, you know, we try and keep um, the project very, very broad so people have an opportunity to meet people who are completely outside of their, their traditional industry sector.
0: All right. What are the outcomes from this? Are there startup companies or are there initiatives? How does that sort of work?
1: Yeah, mainly startups um, mm-hmm. that come out of it. Um, it's really such a hot topic in China particularly. Mm. Um, and so uh, of the 15 think tanks that we ran last year, four have gone on to actually co-found businesses together. So, now, do those mm.
0: businesses operate in China or do they operate in Australia? Do they operate in both?
1: Yeah. Or? So to, to give probably our most successful example, um, we have a, a team... Uh, called Illuminate, who (laughs) co-founded an enterprise which um, has designed a coffee table lamp energy meter so right. when you plug it in it disaggregates um your energy usage by appliance for a particular space um, and gives you recommendations about how to reduce your carbon footprint mm-hmm. and your electricity bill mm-hmm. um so that's that's pretty fabulous they're commercializing a piece of technology out of cyro and wow. it's for the chinese market okay yeah yeah okay. so it really it really depends you know so, like they, if so
0: mm. they're true hybrids and there's a little bit from over here and a little bit over there Catually, and,
1: totally totally yeah and,
0: Will you expect that as time goes on, the kinds of people coming in will be more sophisticated and the things they're going to be creating around this relationship will be more sophisticated?
1: Yeah, I I would anticipate that. However, I think there's also something to be said for, um, you know, really rough and ready people who, Mm. you know, are having their first crack at this whole innovation thing. And, you know, perhaps they are 18 and, you know, sort of really giving a first whirl, but hold some really amazing emergent behaviour, you know, so I would imagine that um, the outputs will become more and more interesting right. in terms of sophistication. Right. You know, it's, time will tell. You know, we we really don't know. But I mean, I think one thing that I'm really curious about is, you know, in our blended model. You know, I mean, if you take a look at our website, you know, you can see it's English and Mandarin all mixed up right. all together. You know, we really try and I
0: did see that. Yes. Yeah,
1: we try and, and keep the the separation to a minimum. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you think about it. You know, I feel like I have more commonality with, you know, somebody who's running a startup in China, right. even though I'm not of Chinese background, yeah. than somebody in Cooper who is Anglo, <laughs> you know? like
0: I know, I totally get that because yeah. I was in the WeWork space as, oh, just cool. as it was opening up yep. in Shanghai, and I'm yep. talking to all these Chinese entrepreneurs, and there is that common language totally. about, you yeah, know, yeah. how do you meet your targets, what is, the, what is the problem you're solving, what are your pain yep. points, how do you scale your business? Yep. I mean, it's, it's the problems, same language, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, the, the kind of the thesis that I'm trying to crack is... You know, we we constantly ask ourselves in the startup community, you know, who will be the next uh, Mark Zuckerberg or who will be the next Jack Ma? Um, But what I want to investigate is what if a Mark Zuckerberg had have met a Jack (laughs) Ma and it was today and they were 20, what would they create? <laughs> like, that's what we're. That's, that's the platform.
0: <laughs> the biggest thing the world had ever seen. Yeah, right? Exactly.
1: We're not talking unicorns. We're no. talking like mega unicorns. Yeah, you know. It's yeah. yeah be, exactly. Yeah, mega yeah.
0: unicorn. I like that yeah, one. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's the next yeah, level. The nine
0: hundred pound yeah. unicorn. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> Who I doesn't mean, want
1: one of those. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but 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 uh, it's interesting because part of what I learned around the landscape in China is that it's also difficult for businesses that have grown up in China often to move. You know, to become international businesses. Mm-hmm. And it's and I remember seeing this quite often in America, like American Because the market's so big Mm -hmm. and they can Mm -hmm. be quite satisfied servicing the native market. And I think the same thing's true in China, whereas in Australia, and particularly New Zealand, because we've covered those companies, Mm. they have Mm. no choice. They have to go global from day one because the native market is never big enough for them to satisfy. Mm -hmm. So do you see folks coming in saying, oh, well, Australia will be enough or, oh, China will be enough? Or is everyone coming in going, we need to be global because we're starting globally?
1: Well, I mean, our our enterprise, so we are a social enterprise, but we're a B Corp. So, you know, we're a for-profit social enterprise, um, meaning that each of those 15 verticals that we focus on, we like to think that when we talk about innovation, we're also talking about social innovation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, when you take a look at the big metrics of the world and, you know, climate change and water consumption and population, innovation actually got us into this mess. Yes. So when we think about what is innovation, how do we calculate innovation in the 21st century? I think we need to do that in a really different way. Mm. So one of the commonalities between people in Australia and China is that the problems of the world are too big for one country to solve now.
0: Even China. Even China. That's the thing, right? Yeah,
1: Yep. even China. So, um, you know, there's, I guess it's sort of, I look at this like a, 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 a... amazing puzzle, Mm -hmm. you know. There's nothing that, um, uh, you know, China and Australia can't really do together if we find the right way to connect it. And I think the best way to do that is to forge trusted
0: relationships. And, I mean, you think about it, you know, some of that is the relationship – the economic relationship between China and Australia now is very much around consumption and, and mm. the creation of carbon dioxide by mm. the burning of coal. Mm. And and that was important for getting China up and running. But now mm. that China's up and running and is making a massive pivot into renewables, sure. we now need to think about how the the countries can work together around the place that China wants to be, and yes. really the place that Australia wants to be.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
0: All right, so I'm, I'm, I'm selling, I'm selling your product. I'm, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm
1: convinced. Sold. <laughs> I'll take ten.
0: All right, <laughs> where do you find the folks to enter the program?
1: Yeah. Um, well. When we talk about these fifteen different verticals, you know, so say if we're looking at entrepreneurship, um, we basically fish where the fish are. So we take a look at the talent pools that might be interested in entrepreneurship. So right. you know, we're sitting here in fish burners mm-hmm. now. We'd obviously put that um, opportunity. And, and this is
0: how this is how I met you. Is you were that's giving right. a talk here at Fishburners. All right. So. Yeah,
1: that's right. That's right. So um, we take a look at the the individual ecosystems which surround any of those different verticals yep. and think right. So you know, could there be fantastic research scientists, you know, yeah. in the CSIRO, or um, and that also goes, you know, back. COVID into China as well. Mm. So, you know, the different, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Academy of Sciences in China, um, you know, Ministry of Commerce, we actually do get people from government being a part of this too, which is really interesting, both on both sides, Chinese the, and Australian. Which It's I'm, not impossible to do.
0: No, and it's a good thing, now. right? Because the more that everyone <laughs> does with one another, yep. it, I mean... I mean, comfort zones and possibilities totally. just open up around that. Yeah. So does the program take place in China or in Australia when they're doing the accelerator?
1: I'm very glad you asked that. Um, it takes place in both so, of course. Yeah, yeah. So we really try and be as bilateral as possible. Um, so when the program kicks off next year in March, we will bring all 150 people, converge them in Shanghai, mm. two of them around the innovation ecosystem there, good. break people's brains as much as possible. You know, those pennies will me. drop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the most wonderful feeling. You yeah. know, you think, oh, oh very, right. Very, Okay, now I think I get it. Whereas yeah. those messages don't really come back to us, you know, here in the West, I think. No, and okay. There's nothing so, like but it. But
0: this is, this is a good question. Why, you know... And you're the right person to ask. I I came back going, why did I need to go here to get this? Is it just something about being on the ground? China is not closed anymore. We get so right, much information right. about China, and yet somehow it doesn't yeah. seem to be hitting the mark.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a few sort of you know pushes and pulls there. You know, the the size of the Chinese market domestically is more than enough to satisfy anybody's you know level of attention span. Um, even Jack Ma. Even, even even somebody like Jack Ma. Um, But um, I think there's also, you know, a a really um, big problem in Australia in terms of the media really underselling the opportunity that that China presents. You know, if we're still fixated on, you know, property investment and, you know, people buying up our farms and all that sort of crap, like, you know, we we are really being dragged kicking and screaming to the bank, you know. My personal uh, sentiment is that Australia will not, transform towards an innovation-led economy unless it hinges itself to China's innovation economy. You know, we're talking about a country which last year had a startup capital pool of $32 billion, yeah. This year, $338 yeah. billion. I, I, Crazy numbers.
0: No, I. the thing is, is everyone's got an accelerator. I saw, I saw the China accelerator folks. I saw these oh, yep, folks. Yep, and yeah, cool. You know, yeah. it's like... And but the thing is I'm at a party in Shanghai, the closing party for this conference. Mm-hmm. I run into a friend of mine from San Francisco that I known for twenty years because he's just come through the China accelerator. Yeah. It's like we're on the other side of the world and yet somehow China has connected us again.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I mean if you want to meet with some of the best venture capitalists in the world, yeah. you'll go and hang out in Beijing. <laughs> and you'll get a meeting with them in within a week. You know, ah. it's just a completely different Different environment there, right. you know, and you know if you've kind of pulled your socks up and and you know taken your butt off to China, it sort of says something about you, you know, like it's, it's not well, for I, everyone.
0: I came and I came back with a sense of. uh, both excitement and the opportunities, but I also came back with the sense that if we didn't, as Australians, didn't Mm. get on top of that, Mm. then we were going to get flattened by it. Not because the Chinese Mm. were trying to flatten us, but because it's blowing up.
1: Yeah, no, completely. I mean, yeah. yeah. So if you take a look at um, the size of the Chinese economy right now and bearing in mind that it's growing at at sort of three or four times the rate of the Australian economy. um, So the Chinese economy, uh, well, the Australian economy is 5% the size. Yeah. Of the Chinese economy. Yeah. So it's sort of the same sort of relative relationship um, that Australia the Australian economy has to, say, a country like Zambia or El Salvador. So, <laughs> um
0: Yeah, you, you, there's so silence for me over here because I'm just staring off into space at the wonder of that, but you're yeah, right. Yeah,
1: so in terms of being flattened, yeah, yeah totally, yeah. you know. So it's sort of, I mean, if you sort of think about it as, you know, the relationship of the rhinoceros and the bird on its back, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's definitely cool stuff that you can do, but that bird cannot be a rhinoc- rhinoceros. Right. can't be. It's it's a bit silly, and nor can that rhinoceros be the bird, Right. you know. So just think about what do we do? Great, you know. Like, right. Yeah, we and can we gotta, fly and they can... Run into stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and we also have a nation of really, really smart people who are we well educated, who are in a very relative mm. sense, particularly I mean, you know, Shanghai was cashed up and that was another one of the, oh, the yeah. things that was amazing to me. But Yeah, but, yeah I feel know, like a backpacker when I walk through Shanghai. Oh. Like
1: some slob. <laughs> no, seriously. I yeah. was
0: like, Okay, I'm not I am not up to this. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, totally. Um and, and so so we do have skills and we shouldn't I I don't think you're right. We shouldn't just limit ourselves to thinking that it's about growing things, although that's important, or about coal for however long that's yeah, important, yeah. but it's around being able to create things together. Sure.
1: Like the, the symbiotic relationship, yeah. I think, is really, really exciting. And, you know, it's sort of finding those um, those nuances to the relationship, which has really helped transform me from, you know, a, a troublemaker in regional New South Wales, you know, to somebody that actually, you know, I mean, I went to to China with Julia Gillard and, Mm -hmm. you know, I've had an extraordinary career just because I'm passionate about it and I absolutely love China so much that I'm going to, Stick in the hard yards to, to learn the language, etc. So, you know, it's a transformational power. You know, just to be able to connect to China. Not everybody's going to be a weirdo and spend four years learning Chinese, of course. And you don't necessarily need to. But um, I think it's. Geez, polite. it helps. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. I mean, the only people that I've ever heard say, "Oh, listen, you don't really need language," are people who don't speak Chinese. <laughs> you know, and there's. Um, yeah, no, it's. I think the main thing is that it's seen as extraordinarily respectful. You know that I've I've really you know you you really put yourself through through hell and back going through Chinese language textbooks yeah. and that da, that da, da. like it's yeah yeah but it's, it's respectful.
0: yeah it's respectful and I think it's an acknowledgement that their culture has value.
1: Oh god yeah I mean it, I mean again it's it's rhinoceros and bird you know it's like you know their culture has value. Yeah yeah it does I mean the steam engine the. Printing press, like it's you know, it's, it's stuff it, that's that's incredible. In some
0: ways, that's the lesson that maybe needs to come here oh, totally. yeah. before we start. It's what to we take... miss.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I, I think there, there's a reimagining of the the Anglo-Australian ego that needs to take place in the 21st century for us <laughs> to really understand. You know, we're a bird. We're not a rhino. You know, maybe perhaps when our our parents' generation or their parents' generation, you know, the Australian economy was the largest in the region. And you know, we sort of felt like we had some sort of exceptionalism about ourselves. But you know, I think now we really need to understand that you know, collaboration is is absolutely the only way that we're going to have a value proposition in the 21st century.
0: Andrea Miles, thank you very much for being on this week in Startups Australia.
1: It's a pleasure. <laughs>
0: Hi, this is Mark Pesci with a few words about Twista's Sponsors Braintree, code for easy online payments. Entrepreneurs around the world have used Braintree as a simple way to accept PayPal and credit cards and debit cards and whatever's next. With a single, scalable integration, you get robust fraud protection on over 130 currencies around the world. That makes your global expansion a snap. And using Braintree, it's as easy as integrating a few lines of code, and getting your business up and running is fast. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com slash twista. Recently, I was invited up to Newcastle to spend an afternoon working with a whole bunch of very bright-faced young entrepreneurs who just were starting out on their journey. And this was all put together by an organization called Slingshot. And it was a lot of fun because they had managed to get together an amazing group of people. So Tim Vong, who was the second guest on this program, Jane Huxley, who is a recent guest on this program, and a whole bunch of other people who were really sharing their best stories about how to be the best possible entrepreneur. And I came away with a real sense that Slingshot understood what they were doing to be able to activate the entrepreneurial side of folks and it is my great pleasure now to be speaking with Karen Lawson, the recently appointed Chief Executive Officer of Slingshot. Karen, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia.
2: Thank you very much. Pleased to be here.
0: So what's your brief?
2: What's my brief? Um, I think it's probably the other way around. What's the brief that I've given the team? All right. (laughs) Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing?
0: But what's the brief that Slingshot has as an organization?
2: Um, Well, I think if you look at Slingshot and what it's been known for and what it has been at at its DNA, it's been about connecting startups and corporates together. And it's done that traditionally through its accelerator program, which has been an external accelerator program. What we've seen is, uh, I guess, through the number of years of operating that, that um, corporates have real challenges around innovation.
0: You don't say.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, it actually uh, starts maybe even earlier than engaging an external accelerator because many CEOs and boards will tell you it's about having a an organisation which is innovation ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so quite recently we've run accelerator programmes, but internal mm-hmm. accelerator programmes in order to get those organisations um, to start to work through the amazing ideas that they have but get them to do that in a really agile way
0: all right so let's let's this just dig into this because this is actually really important because you generally have particularly at the middle level of an organization mm. people who have been there long enough to have all sorts of amazing ideas about how to improve process or yes. new products but they don't have the capacity to be able to make these things mm-hmm. happen so do you sort of come down it's almost santa down the chimney going <laughs> okay we're going we to have
2: orchestras playing violins exactly and
0: how do you activate these people in the middle of the organization? Of course, this is important for a number of reasons. One, because there's a lot of talent there. But second, because you don't want that talent walking out the door, yeah. which also exactly. happens.
2: Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's really interesting we talk about talent because that's... For, for CEOs, it's about you can have the best product in market, but if you don't have the right team around you, that's the, one of the most important assets you have as a business is the people. So, uh, it's really important if you are going to develop as a business, you need to have an innovation strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't simply just product development. It's not about hiring an innovation manager. It's about embedding innovation into what everyone does every single day. I mean, if you think about it, everyone innovates. You might take a different route to work. You might um, use your laptop in a different way. We 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 are as humans um, intrinsically programmed to innovate. So. I think it's kind of sad that we put, you know, a label on these special, sparkly people that sit on the side of an organization that are supposed to come up with the most amazing ideas. And it's
0: interesting because I've had, uh, I've done a lot of work with Swift, which is a very big mm. bureaucratic organization, but within a tribe, yeah. which is the tiny, crazy, right brain part. And it's almost as though yeah. the entire burden for innovation sits with this group of twenty people mm. that they have to be the weird thinkers yeah. because the rest of the organization has decided. That's not what they do.
2: Yeah, you normally find them in a, in a corner of a room back, rocking backwards and forwards in a chair. <laughs>
0: From time to time.
2: <laughs> we see them a lot. We're like, really, we're here to help you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's... um. But the, the internal accelerator is that, uh, I guess, it's one of the steps towards becoming innovation ready and that is the fact that you know there are there are so many people across an organisation, particularly in large corporates, that do have great ideas, often the one percenters, mm-hmm. they often call them, mm-hmm. um, but haven't been trained in the agile methodologies of how to get it from an idea into impact, So the idea to impact is really important. And to do that in a really um, fast way, and mm-hmm. there's methodology and tools for doing that, mm-hmm. and that's what we teach startups. Right. So we're, we're taking it from startup world and bringing it into a large corporate organization to start to provide them with those tools and methodologies to do that in a really quick way. Um, and that's quite different from maybe hiring a large consulting firm that will bring, you know, lots of theories, right. um, and maybe a slightly different approach. So we're um, we're pretty hardcore. We ask those individuals that go through the internal accelerator that, um, you know, this is something which we ask for their focus and their dedication, and they need to be um, literally given leave of absence from their actual day jobs, and that that disengagement from their normal day job is actually very, very hard to do. I was going to ask because... You to follow
0: this through. Right, yeah. and you also have a, a sort of environment where all of the processes of a large organisation, none of them are agile. They're all waterfall, yeah. as we would say. They're all... Geared to another kind of business organization, yeah. you're coming in and saying, "Okay, you have permission to do things in a completely different way, and it's fine for them, but they're still in the organization yeah. doing things a different way. So, how do you how do you actually work around that grinding of gears?" Yeah,
2: I mean, it, it's it's the stepping stones, so and ideally, what we would. Um, really encourage organisations to do is think about um, transformation and innovation as something which is uh, fundamental and runs through that entire organisation as opposed to pockets, but we recognise that speed and agility may be that there is an area of um, that company where there's particular ideas that they do want to get to market really quickly and there's we, we can see a need in this area so let's do that, but I think anything that you try to do in isolation, whether that is um, a strategy and it's not implemented with KPIs all the way through those stakeholders, <laughs> wherever that is, there is lack of alignment, that is where there is failure. Uh, so for us, it, it is always really important that we get alignment with the board, we get alignment with the CEOs and the stakeholders. All right, so now, that's, a, that's a really important process.
0: But, but this is also another sticking point in the yeah. process, right? Boards, particularly in Australia, tend to be more concerned about conserving risk, protecting against risk. In part, that's because legally the board is very much on the line in a way they aren't in America yeah. or other domains. So that that's part of it. So boards tend to be conservative. What I've been learning from talking to people is the CEO tends to have be running an organization that's so lean, particularly these days, that there isn't a lot of capacity to Mm. be innovative. So how do you make the case to the board and the C-level that they must grow fatter in this department?
2: Yeah. Uh, This is probably one of the the biggest challenges for our nation right now. We just held... Uh, a really fascinating um, conversation with thirty chairs from across um, Australia, some of the the largest organisations, um, and we were really privileged to have David Thodey, he's a great supporter mm-hmm. of ours, um, share some of his experiences of how do you shift an organisation <laughs> as big that. as Telstra. As big as Telstra, and um, it was a you know a great conversation across the room around how do you do that, right. and you're absolutely right. Boards have. Um, a very strict view on what they're there to do,
0: and which as, involves a lot of covering their ass. It does, the, and that's yeah. the, you know, uh, there, there's no fault there. It's the way the legal system it has is. been set up And even if you that.
2: look at, you know, we're in a process right now uh, training board members mm. um, and to go through that program with the AICD. Ah, mm-hmm. And if you look at that program as well, there's you know, it's two manuals, and you have to say, well, where's innovation? If we are building the boards of tomorrow, if we're building the capabilities for the best companies in the world, right. then we've got to prepare these board members for excellence in innovation. And whilst um, a lot of time is spent on governance and on mm. risk, mm. I wonder, we really just need to change the agenda of boards, that if you look at innovation through the lens of risk, I, what is the risk if you do not innovate And that's where we need to change the role of boards um, as opposed to, I guess, a horizon, which is horizon one. It's who is our brand? What are we doing now? Um, You have to have horizon two and three just as a CEO has to be managing all of those three horizons at any one point in time. So if you fail to to, to be running your business with an eye on your horizon one, what our business is doing today, if you're not looking at horizon two, what are the adjacent... Areas um, or marketplaces to where our business or our brand may pivot into, and then the three where are disruptive technologies? If you are not doing all of those three things at one time, then your business is at risk of being disrupted, and that is where our boards really need to be on one, two, and three horizons.
0: You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark with a few words about Twisted Sponsor's Get worm, the go-to crowdsourcing site for startups. Startups need early adopters, and Get worm believes early adopters should be rewarded. So come and join a growing community of early adopters on Get worm and get exclusive offers from the latest startups all around the world. The early bird gets the worm at GetWorm.com. We're back talking to Karen Lawson, the Chief Executive Officer of Slingshot. Now, we were talking about bringing innovation, and you finished on it. It was great. Disruptive innovation. So now let's say that I am the mid-level employee. I am in the Slingshot course, and I have a disruptive innovation, an innovation that will fundamentally transform the business In general, the business's first reaction to that is to strangle that in the crib as quickly as possible. How do you get them not to do that?
2: (laughs) We call that the corporate antibodies. (laughs) Yes. They swarm very quickly. Yes. And and they they either kill it off very fast or it's a very slow, painful death. Right. Um, I think it is incredibly hard for any organisation to do uh, disruptive Horizon 3 development from within inside that business. Um, I do think, but, the, that, but that I mean,
0: the, it's very hard. The extension of that does mean that, in fact, Clayton Christensen is the prophet of doom. That, in fact, large organizations cannot take mm. on board disruptive innovation. And I would like to think that isn't the case. How? And I mean, this is a question I don't even quite know how to formulate. How do we get it into the head, not so much of the CEO, mm. because I know he doesn't want to lose his job, yeah. but. To make it clear to the board that disruptive innovation, that the board has to have their eyes open around yeah. that. How do you, how do we make them cross that chasm?
2: It's got to be alignments. So you've got to have, you know, it's got to be in who you hire, who you fire, mm-hmm. who you reward, the things you celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the things of success. Um, so protectionist measures, right. um, are not things that are awarded. And it's, you know, it's it's very... It's flippant and it's easy to say, but when you're inside that organisation and you've been hired to do a role and said, you know, you want innovation to be part of the culture, what everyone does every single day, uh, that's when it truly is most successful. Um, But the reality is those... um, Those transformational um, ideas are very, very hard inside an organisation because once you you're inside that business, um, you can see improvements to what you're doing. Yeah. It's like the, the moment we're all on holiday and then we go, oh, yeah, okay, I've got that idea. You need that space and sometimes that distance to ideate. We all have those moments where we're so entrenched in um, working on the business that we're not able to kind of step back and think, oh well, if we had the time to ideate and have that kind of 20% of time back, what would we be do, do differently? And I think that is why we see such... Enormous shifts happening outside um, companies, and now the speed and scale of disruption is just phenomenal. we, we talked about the, the, you know, the shift of collaborative consumption businesses with, you know, no assets whatsoever, yeah. but the ability to scale so rapidly and globally. Yeah. The rise of social. We've even seen, you know, very recently the Pokemon in just yeah. a few days, yeah. absolutely incredible. So if you're sitting there at the helm of a huge empire. Um, I think that's quite scary if you don't have methodologies and different um, approaches to how you start to tackle those outside ideas, which are not stifled by the organization, which is why the external accelerators are so key.
0: Okay, so we have the external accelerator being, I guess, the irritant that's going to make the pearl out of the organization. And now, so you have... You have this idea that you can do the entrepreneurship, but now the other thing that Slingshot does is connect startups with businesses so that they can be connected to this flow of ideas. Could you talk right. about that?
2: Yeah. I mean it's it's an incredibly powerful model when you think about it. You have these two enormous forces within our economy, corporations. Right. And then you have what is now a, a really fast-growing agile startup community. And I think the growth of this now as millennials are changing their view on education and what the future of their work might look like and the barriers to even starting a business change, um, the growth of that economy is going to be, I believe, accelerate um, exponentially.
0: Well, so I mean, just if you th- just look at what's going on in Australia over the last oh, two yeah. years, you can see an exponential growth. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. So with these two amazing models, Market forces, But the real beauty of what we do is what is somebody's strength is someone's weakness. Right. So the corporates have the scale, they have the resources, they have the customer base. Right. But often they don't have the agility or the ideas mm-hmm. or even the risk or appetite for failure. On the flip side, right. you have these rule breakers, risk takers, agile thinkers um, that can pivot very, very close to the customer, don't have any of the traditional, uh, I guess, gateways or stakeholder buy-in that maybe some of these – And process. Absolutely. So, the thing that they lack is not necessarily being first to market because uh, it's not always about being first to market, it's about who scales first and who scales fastest. So bringing these two together actually means we can create extraordinary outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, So
0: taking someone who has uh, the kernel of the process, but then someone who has the scale.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And so we see that time and time again. So even the, if you like, the matching process of the ideas from a startup and then, you know, those ideas or those businesses could land in not just one area of that corporate, but maybe could be, changed or molded or fit in maybe four or five or six or seven different departments. So where do you start and where do
0: you land? So this brings up a question, do Mm -hmm. you function as a matchmaker in this? Do you sort of go, okay, here's all the capacities of the startups, here's the needs of these firms, Mm -hmm. and then if that's the case, how do you assess the needs of those companies so that you can match them with startups? Because startups, you can look at it and go, okay, it does this really well, but how do you know that business X needs that?
2: And um, that's one of the, I guess, the areas of excellence for us around the process of engagement between um, these two forces that think, operate, their value systems, everything is very different mm. about them. How do you get them to work well together? Um, because they both come into it with uh, different, different motivators uh, and different languages yeah. and different, um, uh, different objectives to, to some degree. Um, and that process and the model of engagement and how we do that is something that we've built over time. <clears throat> so not only do we do this for the startups that come through the accelerator program, but the other really important blend is to bring in the scale-ups. So these are more mature businesses as well, which can provide those corporates with the ability that once we've gone through an accelerator program, um, there are Tangible commercial outcomes, mm-hmm. which that CEO can go back to the boardroom and say, within months, we've been able to really make a significant difference to this organization. Mm-hmm. Whereas the startups um, are still in the process of building those businesses and they have still got a, a runway to growth. So the blend of those two actually also requires um, a great amount of skill and negotiation, and really what is forming partnerships and understanding, as you said. Where do they land? land? And also, where is that corporate on their propensity for disruption?
0: And this is, you know, do you know in advance, or is this something that they have to get married to find out? Sort of how much they'll be able to handle it when the baby comes around.
2: Yeah, do you know every every corporate every stakeholder is completely different. Some um, some come in with a really open view of let's just let's just do this and see what happens, which is fantastic. Yeah. Which is also why we, we really like to run uh, these programs over multiple years because you see the learning processes that the organisation understand. Right. Um, I call it an ROI, which is a return on involvement for the corporate. Oh, I like that. That's really nice. <laughs> yeah. So like any relationship, the the more time you spend with your cohort and you get to know them, you've actually set in the accelerator with them, we can teach um, uh, different stakeholders in the organisation, you really get to build those relationships Mm -hmm. so that you're not actually looking at these businesses as a piece of paper, you're really understanding the, the personalities behind that, the work ethic, the passions, the values, the alignments. Um, and then on that journey, also understanding where is your propensity for where that, that, um, that idea could fit. And I've seen that most recently even with um, HCF, that we had uh, one company, HUM, that go through the program and they were a scale up. And their technology could have had a number of different applications through that organization, from incredibly disruptive mm-hmm. through to business as usual. And so where do you start? Where do you feel comfortable uh, for the first program that you ever run? Um, Do do you you play it safe or do you go for broke? Yeah. So we really like to start with that corporate and understand where their their appetite for risk is and what they want those outcomes to be because we like to make sure that we're recruiting the very best startups and scale-ups which actually align and match with Uh, with those themes that we've been talking to the uh,
0: corporate about. All right, last question. If I have a startup Mm -hmm. and this sounds like the best thing since sliced bread, how do I get into slingshot?
2: Keep an eye on our website. (laughs) So there is a on our website you can actually sign up to our newsletter. So that's Mm -hmm. probably one of the best ways to make sure that you're really connected to the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Um, So we run uh, external accelerator programs for corporates. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have many of them are on multiple year contracts. So um, HCF should be the next one that we'll be recruiting for. So the bit that we need to then think about with the um, with HCFR, what are the themes, what are we recruiting to, what mm-hmm. are the kinds of businesses we're looking for? Right. Um, and then we're able to put the call out into the ecosystem to find the very best in the world. So watch this space. Absolutely.
0: Karen, thank you very much for being with us on this week yes. in Startups Australia.
2: It's a delight. Thank you so much.
0: Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I'd like to take a minute to tell you all about Twista's newest sponsors, Creative3. It's Australia's largest conference for creative tech entrepreneurs and startups. On September 22nd, Creative3 brings together entrepreneurs, innovators, and investors for a one-day forum covering areas like virtual reality and animation and games and fashion and film and entertainment. This year, Creative3 will feature Bethany Kobe, CEO and co-founder of Technology Will Save Us. Ben Britton of Mighty Games, Anna Reeves of that startup show, and Airtree VC's Paul Bennetts, plus many more talented folks who will be sharing the secrets of their creative successes. Creative 3 has sold out 6 years in a row, so don't miss out. Buy your ticket at creative3.com.au before August 26 to save 50 bucks and we'll see you there because yeah, that's right, I'm the MC. Creative 3, it's where you need to be. <laughs> It's easy to ignore something that's right in front of you if it's something that you don't want to see. Australian businesses have been very slow to recognize both the opportunities coming out of China and the disruptive threats that come along with those opportunities. Andrea and Karen offer complementary approaches to this question of disruption. Andrea has crafted a way for Australian entrepreneurs to partner with peers in China, working together to build the disruptive threats. Karen does the hard yards and the C-suites and the boardrooms of Australia's biggest businesses, helping them accept and maybe even embrace the challenge of disruptive innovations, plenty of which, over the next few years, will be coming from China. Big thanks to Twista sponsors Braintree, GetWorm, and Creative3, because their support makes this podcast possible. Thanks to Felix Wormuth and AnalogCabin.net for his hard work creating a, a podcast that is consistently a joy to listen to. Thanks to Andrea Miles and Karen Lawson for making the time to come on the show on very short notice. And once again, I invite you to come by our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. We will have links to camp and links to Springboard there, so you'll be able to find out how to sign up for those programs. We will be back in a fortnight with more great stories about Australian startups Australian investors and Australian innovators. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.